Hello and welcome to another episode of Even Baddies Wear Helmets, the podcast all about children's TV and the brilliant people who make it. Now, I'm not sure when you're listening to this, but as we record this episode, we are edging ever closer to the spooky season. The nights are drawing in, the leaves are turning orange, autumn is well and truly upon us, and it feels like the perfect time to tell some ghost stories. And who better to help me than Elizabeth Ito, creator of Netflix's animated mockumentary City of Ghosts. The series is all about the Ghost Club, a gang of kids who explore their home city of Los Angeles by interviewing the people and the ghosts who live there. But Elizabeth's ghosts aren't terrifying spectres, they're warm, friendly, often funny. From professional skateboarders to music teachers, the series celebrates the cultural diversity of the city and encourages children to learn about the people who came before them. Elizabeth has worked in animation for 15 years. She's got an Emmy Award and a ton of credits on shows like Adventure Time and films like Hotel Transylvania. Her award-winning short film, Welcome to My Life, is the second most viewed short in Cartoon Network history and is, I believe, still available to watch online, so please do check it out because it is wonderful. I think that's all we need to say by way of introduction. Me and Elizabeth are going to talk about ghosts, we're going to talk about the Muppets, we're going to talk about all sorts. So if you're ready, let's get started. Hello, Elizabeth. Hey. How are you doing? I'm all right. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here to talk about your wonderful Netflix series, City of Ghosts, um, in which we see the Ghost Club explore the neighborhood that they're growing up in and kind of hear stories about the people who are living there now, but also the ghosts that came before them. Um, and I just wanted, oh, I wanted to start by asking if you could tell me a little bit about the neighborhood that you grew up in. Yeah, sure. Um, I grew up in a neighborhood in Los Angeles called the, the Crenshaw area, but I also uh, went to elementary school um, where my mom taught, which was in Santa Monica, which uh, is definitely on the west side of town. Um, so yeah, I think like um, the area I grew up in was uh, predominantly Japanese American and African American. Um, and then as we were living there, I think more Latino families started moving in. Uh, I think <laughs> it was probably when I was younger, um, most famous for like being one of the really, uh, active places during the LA riots. <laughs> um, wow. yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting now because it's been through a lot and kind of like everywhere else in LA it's, um, it's, it's also becoming gentrified, which is, um, surprising to me because it kind of felt like the last place that would become gentrified uh yeah <laughs> it's it's cool to hear you talk about it because I guess there's there's little kind of name I mean I don't know Los Angeles at all um sure. but little names of places that I hear cropping up in the series and things like that and this is a bit of a tangent but I read that kind of drawing and cartoons were quite an essential tool in how you navigated the world as a kid and as you were growing up um can you just tell me a little bit more about how art came into your life and what role it served for you as a kid? Yeah, I mean, I think um, drawing in particular was something that I I started doing just uh, like I don't I don't really remember the age because it was I was so little. Um, so it's hard to pinpoint when. But uh, 
I think part of it, like I know for sure, part of it was just liking to draw cute things like like animals and um, just made up things. Um, I know when I was in preschool, I, I really liked to draw. And my, my mom had reminded me of something where like one of the preschool teachers had told her like Elizabeth really needs to um, get better at kind of sticking up for herself because there was some other kid who was like making fun of my drawings and I wasn't um, defending myself. So uh, yeah, I think like it was just always something I did regardless of what, you know, what people were saying (laughs) about what I was drawing. Um, And for sure it was something that like, I think I did it uh, for a couple reasons. Like one was like, I really loved um, children's books and I liked looking at the illustrations. So it was sort of being inspired by that. Um, and then part of it was just like, it was a really good way to, to, to sort of draw feelings. I mean, they're, they're a lot less complex when you're little than they are when you're older, but um, it's still something that's nice. Like if you're feeling sad, you can draw a sad person or a sad mouse or something like that. Um, But also if you're feeling happy, you can draw like pretty happy stuff too. So yeah, (laughs) that's sort of the role it played. Absolutely. Was it it something that you were doing kind of on your own? Was it with other people? Did you share them with other people? I think my parents um, are just generally creative people. So it was partially just as as a like as a result of that like my dad like doing photography. I think there was a time where I remember him taking like a storyboarding class um but it was kind of like storyboarding for advertising and commercials. So I remember seeing like an assignment that he had for his class where it was like uh they had to draw a storyboard idea for like a product I forgot I forget what he chose um but I remember there were like piano keys in his drawings or something um and and my mom was a a musician um, a singer um to be specific but I mean she also played guitar so I guess overall musician is fine um so I think those like just being around creative people who were my parents <laughs> like I think that definitely um made it so that like I just saw it as like uh a thing to do for fun <laughs> that's such a creative household so cool so that it comes from such a range of disciplines like it wasn't like you know they were <laughs> painters or artists or whatever it was there's music and there's storytelling in that and teaching as well in education it's a real mix of kind of influences it sounds like they were kind of buzzing around at that time yeah, and I think um, kind of like most moms, like my mom tried to figure out what what things could she encourage that I was into. Like I know she signed me up for this class when I was really little um, called, it's like a, a system called like Monart where you learned how to do all kinds of different types of art. Um, like I think there was like pastels and uh you know, random like scratch board type stuff or stuff like that. Um, And I remember her telling me like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't send you back because you can, you would complain so much when you came home about how upset you were that your, whatever you did, didn't look exactly like how the teachers looked. And and I just didn't want you to get discouraged about it. So I I figured we'd find something else for you. Um, 
which I didn't really remember complaining that much, but I do remember feeling like I could tell that the, t- <laughs> that the yeah. teacher's art was much better than mine. <laughs> oh, I feel like I had a similar thing where I had one ballet lesson as a kid. My mom took me to ballet once and I don't, I think I like hung onto her legs for the entire session. It was like, this isn't for me. I'm tapping out. This is not happening. <laughs> and I mean, my, who knows? I could have been an amazing dancer. Um, yeah. It's unlikely. It's unlikely, but... <laughs> could have happened so how did how did that then um you have you have this love of art you're drawing a lot how did how did that translate into a professional career like what was your sort of first gig in animation um well I didn't I didn't totally know what what to do with my interest in uh art because um I mean as you kind of grow up you're trying to figure out like what 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 can I do like after I get out of uh, grade school or high school or whatever and like what what should I study even Um, and I think like I didn't I didn't think of animation as as a as a thing to do because I think my perception of it was like this is really it seems like a really tedious thing it seems like you have to be um, really good at doing something that's kind of um, monotonous and I just didn't know that it was a lot broader than that. So I went to like a, a summer program that they had. That's a state funded thing here um, where animation was an option of something that you could learn over a summer. And um, it was mostly taught by kind of like people that came from more of the experimental side of animation. Uh, and I think that was really good for me because it, it, it sort of showed me that it wasn't, it wasn't really all about drawing. It was about kind of combining all of these things that I was already really excited by, like filmmaking and music and rhythm and, um, and, and writing. And yeah, I think seeing it that way, um, when I was like about 16 or so, I was like, Oh, okay, this is, this is the thing I want to do. Um, but then there was kind of like a gap in, how do I go get the training that I need to actually like realize this as a, as a job or as something to do as, as opposed to just like a hobby or whatnot. Um, so I think like I, I sort of figured that out. <laughs> I managed to go to um, Cal Arts at some point. And then at that point, I think as I, as I was getting out of school um my first inclination was like, I don't, I don't really want to do stuff like working for a Disney or a DreamWorks or a place like that, because I didn't really see it as a place that like encouraged, um, like freedom (laughs) Mm -hmm. in a way, uh, like that I would see in things that were like music videos or commercials. Like I would see a lot of interesting things happening in those where like, I just didn't feel like there was going to be that, um, that freedom in, in, kind of standard studio work um but like the first thing that I got I think out of school uh, as a, as a paid job was a training program uh, with DreamWorks where they trained you in in storyboarding and and pitching and all these things um and then that just sort of became what I was able to find work in like I definitely applied to other things like I think I applied for some character design jobs and for things that were like uh not necessarily story and storyboarding 
Um, but I never, I never really got those jobs as, as easily as I was able to, I mean, easily just like people like offering you a job is I think to me just easy, but like, uh, yeah, I never was really, um, like taken in that direction as far as, uh, people giving me work to do that. So I sort of ended up, yeah, storyboarding. (laughs) It's really interesting to hear you talk about that that sort of tension between what you expected animation to be like and that first kind of very, well, the more kind of experimental course that you did. Um, I'd just love to hear more generally about what it is about animation as a medium that really excites you for, for kind of a device for storytelling. I uh, With animation, I think it just... It, it feels like there's there's so many um, fantastical things that you can do that uh, make me excited, um, like in a way that, I don't know, it's just you, you don't see that happening as much in like live action. Now there's a lot more, uh, I think, crossover <laughs> because um, animation has gotten so like so much bigger and what you can do like how you can put some random real looking character into a live action movie and and um still make that work now uh but i think it's all it's almost just like for me there's like this this um natural uh i don't know connection between sort of like children children's books and illustrations and and comic books and and all of the things that people do drawn storytelling um there's there's like a like a direct way to see like oh i can i can make that real i can make it moving i can make like a like like a yeah like a, <laughs> a time-based story um out of something that's that's just started as a drawing <laughs> It feels like a nice way to kind of take us into talking about um, City of Ghosts, which has all of those wonderful, imaginative, <laughs> fantastical elements um, in it. And I I love it. So I think I, I can't remember how I think it just popped up on Netflix in that way that Netflix kind of throws stuff at you. And it's like, you might like this. And I'm like, I did. Thank you, Netflix, for that. <laughs> I'm so glad it <laughs> yeah. popped up for you, because for some people it wasn't popping up. And they would uh, be very concerned and contact me and just be like, why isn't it showing up on my Netflix? <laughs> I feel like this podcast has really skewed my algorithm quite a bit. I feel like it's either giving me like sort of true crime or children's animation. Like I kind of get one or the other. <laughs> um, but I, I, yeah, it's it's a wonderful series. Um, and I'd just love to hear a little bit about how it sort of came into being. You know, where did the idea come from? How did you get the ball rolling? Um, well, like first I came to Netflix with the intention of, I think, well, I don't know, even know if I intended, it was just the expectation that I was going to make a series out of this short that I had done at Cartoon Network, um, called Welcome to My Life. That was about my brother. Um, and that short was also kind of like just uh, like a redo of uh, a student film that I had done where I was just doing drawn animation with it. But I had sort of adapted it for um, for me what was like um, modern, like things that were available now that weren't accessible to me at that particular time when I made the original thing where um, I was like, oh, maybe I could do 
this short where we really make it feel like it's happening in real life, where we can make the backgrounds like photographs of actual places or live action of some sort, and we can put um, CG characters into it. And I think even at the time when I was making that short, I wasn't sure whether CG was going to be I mean, like affordable <laughs> for a television short. So um, that was sort of the first place that I had tried combining um, photographs with like CG animation. Uh, so when I got to Netflix and it, it became apparent that it was it was like going to be a challenge to um, to get the rights to do that there, uh, they were kind of like, do you have do you have other ideas that you would want to turn into a show? Um, and the one other thing that I had been thinking about was um, storytelling in, in other mediums, like specifically in like VR and AR and things like that. Cause I had been talking to various people who were sort of just questioning, like, is it, is it something that's possible? Um, and I, like, I honestly didn't know. And I, I had been talking to a friend and saying like, oh, it's it's weird how when you're um, using VR to try to do the same thing that you do in like traditional uh, film, it's really difficult because the experience of it, um, even if you're standing in the middle of it, it makes you feel like a ghost because you're just mm -hmm. kind of watching things happen around you. And it, like, to me, I never really feel like I'm interacting with the environment. And if I am, it's usually like, cause it's a game <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's what's intended. Um, so yeah, I think it started with that. And it was that combined with um, me driving around LA cause we, we drive a lot here to get in between places uh, and thinking like, it's so interesting when you'll be driving past like a neighborhood where um, a lot of things have changed and obviously like a lot of buildings like um, have been developed the same way but then you'll see like a small building in between some other buildings that is like stylistically just looks old and different and um, it's always like like curious to me like where you're just kind of like what why is that there um, what happened there like what like how come it's it's still there in the middle of all this stuff like there, there must be something interesting behind that um, and like kind of like everywhere the other factor is just that um, gentrification is really changing uh, almost every part of the city so for me it was like also just thinking like what's what's like something that I can do to um, if I can't preserve the actual building, <laughs> what can I preserve about here um, so that we don't lose it, so that people know like that it was here and that it existed? <laughs> there is so much stuff um, that I want to unpick from that. <laughs> um, I mean, like you say, like that, um, I feel like it's a really clever way of using ghosts or, or like you know we see that they're sort of popular culture ghosts are everywhere <laughs> there are so many <laughs> different ways that they have been done and this feels like a really refreshing one and and using it as a method of of kind of connecting with the history of of places feels like a really just wonderful like it feels like there's a lot of heart and care in it um and I, it's a Thank big you. question but do you believe in ghosts generally speaking <laughs> i do i do um I've, I've told this story a lot, so I, I don't have to tell it in its entirety, but I, like I saw a ghost when I was like six or five or six. Um, 
And I wasn't even sure, like, I mean, when I think back on it, um, I kind of thought, like, was I just in general scared of, like, being up at night? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I scared if I had to go to the bathroom at night because of the loud sound of the toilet and anticipating that? <laughs> or is it, like, I really saw this thing that I thought I saw? Because um, I had, like, I had looked in this hallway and I, I thought I saw this foggy shape and it was, like, the anniversary of, uh, or not anniversary, but like the birthday of a, a great grandmother who um, was a leap year baby. So I had just, uh, I didn't have all that in my mind when I saw this thing, but I had definitely um, asked my parents to help. And my dad uh, told me to go back to bed, but he had also seen the ghost earlier in the night. So that was part of the reason he said to go back to bed. <laughs> he didn't want to come out. Um, but I think it it felt it's nice to sort of have like a confirmation that um, somebody else experienced the same thing. So it wasn't sort of just in my mind. Um, and yeah, like there's just been other things where I think um, it, it makes, it kind of makes simple sense to, to assume like, Oh, this is probably because of a ghost or um, you know, like that person who said, they witnessed this thing or heard this thing, it, it would it would totally make more sense that it was a ghost <laughs> than, than anything else. <laughs> yeah, and that idea that it's the, the confirmation that someone else experienced something that you did is, it feels like kind of thematically weaved into the series as well, <laughs> that like, that it's For all sure, about connection yeah. across time. And, and, you know, if you've got someone who loves music now, having them forge a connection with somebody who loved music then it's just a really nice way of again like not making ghosts scary making them something (laughs) that we should be engaging with and we should be talking to and we should be learning from um and you also touched a little bit on welcome to my life which is the the short for cartoon network and you can yeah you can really feel (laughs) the the way that that short influenced this series and and the sort of um the ground that it laid um I'd love to hear more about the development of the sort of like mockumentary style that that's kind of at play it it blends something that's very grounded in reality but is also um fantastical it feels very refreshing can you just tell me anything else about how how you kind of settled upon that sort of yeah the mockumentariness of it yeah for sure I mean um I was really I was really influenced by um, Creature Comforts, the yes. Nick Park short, <laughs> yeah. um, and the the also the the more modern series that they put out eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I I w- I was just really amused by it from the get go, like from the very first time that I'd seen it. Like I think they used to play it on Nickelodeon occasionally here, um, so I would see it through that, and then uh, like to honestly it was a lot of influence of of just sort of um what I would see people doing uh in the UK more than they do here like stuff like The Office um I would watch and I was really just sort of like enamored with that that type of humor where it's uh it's as if you're just witnessing kind of this person or people um and you're framing it in this way that's like really funny and sort of like the improv feeling of it too. Like, I think that's something that was really exciting was just uh, the idea that you could um, not necessarily write something exact down and still sort of make a comedy out of it. Um, 
I know here there it was it was really funny to me that uh there were a lot of people that were really uncomfortable with the the British office <laughs> like they just I think it was too real yeah um, but I think that was something where like I I I missed that 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 aspect of it when they made the American version like I kind of felt like I know these are comedians and I know that they're um doing improv whereas with the other one I didn't feel like that was um that people knew that they didn't Mm -hmm. feel comforted because they didn't really think they thought it was real um and I think that sort of and also for here like things that I was influenced by were like this American life like I listened to a lot of that um where I it's just like this recognition that when you have somebody talking about a story that's happened to them or you have them um telling you about something that like to me their their voice and their way of telling the story is is not like performable by an actor <laughs> it kind of feels like you you start to lose um little nuances of what what makes it entertaining to me and what makes it personal uh so i think it was just really wanting wanting to do that and wanting to not lose um what I find entertaining about people's stories by sort of like um uh doing a like a dramatic reenactment as opposed to just getting the person to say it themselves <laughs> how much is actually scripted then like how much is is off the cuff because it, it, it's like you say that the wonderful thing about it is those little things that feel sort of like kind of throwaway lines or, or improvs how much do you actually sit down and go this is what needs to be said <laughs> um I try not to, but there's, there's usually, I would say like, um, probably like maximum, like 50%, but it's usually less than that, uh, mm. of, of like telling somebody what to say. Um, with the kids, it was a lot more like, uh, telling them what we needed them to say. Cause, um, there was a point with city of ghosts where I was, I was trying to figure out like, okay, who are we improving? Are we improving everybody? Um, but with the kids, it was, it was going to be a bit of a struggle because like, uh, I think the the show would be a lot weirder if it was, uh, improv kids too, because like they, they just tend to have not the questions that would lead to like, (laughs) to lead to the story. Um, sometimes it's just really random, but I also, uh, tried to look for opportunities where we could have, we could do that, like where maybe we would write what they were saying but hopefully from like the angle of like um like knowing that kids are like that uh so I think there were some fun comedy moments to be had with that but I mean like definitely with the interviews we recorded a lot and uh, that was like a a really um a a different part of our process I think was like the amount of time that sometimes it would take to really sit down with the interviews that we had and and figure out what what do we want to highlight that this person has said because um in a lot of cases it was just we had so much really good material and so much just like really um nice things that people were saying but like at a certain point you kind of have to also like wonder 
is is the audience gonna get bored if we if we make this section like that like you know like an endless um, dialogue with somebody talking um, so it's really trying to like whittle down what we had to like the best possible segments <laughs> that's really interesting to hear about in terms of how that kind of sets it apart from other animated series I guess which are more kind of closely scripted I guess that affects I don't know does that change up the sort of chronology of that pipeline if you're uh, yeah it, it's um it was kind of every time that somebody sort of asked me to uh kind of like run down what our process was like the story process I felt like I would sort of just stare into space <laughs> and try to try to say it in a in a coherent way that made sense but I think that's that's part of it is that it was um like like a very evolving process and it kind of depended on the directors as well like I feel like um you know we had Akko Akko Castueta and um, Bob Logan they were both directors on the show but I would say like their approach to their to how they put their episodes together was um different like they weren't they were definitely not the same like I think Bob really preferred um starting with a script and starting with an idea of where he wanted to go and I think Akko is a little bit more um like like not quite as tied down to writing um at the at the beginning and definitely sort of tried to feel it out and I think maybe sometimes in rough boards and sometimes it was just um doing a lot of research I mean with both of them it was doing a lot of research into who who are who are the people that were um getting to do the voices of these characters and what's the what's this like the the meat of the story that we we want to make sure that we get um and yeah it was uh it was definitely um like a an important thing for me to find directors who uh had a certain level of comfort with the process being being like that like being kind of um a mystery <laughs> it's exciting it keeps it fresh right <laughs> i hope so yeah it's fresh but a little tense <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean research is actually something that i kind of wanted to pick up a little bit on because um yeah, in each episode we meet a new ghost from a different part of la who tells us a little bit about their life and their community um, from you know restaurant owners in Little Tokyo to the indigenous Tongva people, and it feels like um, inclusivity and authenticity is a real important element of the show. And I'm just curious to know how you research each episode, how you decide who your kind of subjects are going to be, and, and how you're going to approach those different um, individuals differently. If that makes sense. It was very rambling. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. No, no, <laughs> totally makes sense. Um, early on, I uh, I got my friend Joanne Shen involved um, and she had come from the documentary world uh, but she's also uh, married to an animator friend of mine so I kind of initially reached out just thinking like, um, like almost like trying to prepare myself for like well what if she's not interested I'll have to find somebody else who knows something about documentary making and maybe a little bit about um, animating but uh, she was really into it. So um, I think like I owe her a ton of credit for just like the amount of expertise she brought to it with like uh, having worked in, on so many documentaries and written written some and um, directed some and like just 
it was it was it was mostly her and uh her her um I don't know if her, the title is assistant but like her and uh Katie they basically would uh kind of find out again it's like <laughs> it's hard for me to be, like remember our entire process but it was sort of like we would start with a theme we we started with like a list of themes and then um Joanne and Katie would basically like look into all the different avenues we could take for those themes and kind of like look into articles um sometimes they'd even just go walk around the places that we were going to do the stories about and go into businesses and and talk to people and find out you know who who runs this place or like what do you do <laughs> and stuff like that um and um yeah i think they would then bring a lot of that back to me and and ask me who who was I interested in talking to what was like an avenue I was thinking of and then kind of based off of this like these ever evolving outlines they would they would start to sort of narrow down um narrow down the list of who who it was going to be about uh they taught they taught me a lot too about like pre-interview recordings where um it's kind of basically how you set the stage for when you eventually interview them and, and record them for real, like where you can kind of find out like, what are the things we really want to get them to talk about? Um, and, and then just have a little bit more of a strategic plan for like when you're, yeah, when you're recording them, like, like uh, on the record, <laughs> basically. Oh, that's really interesting. And I love the idea of them, walking around as well just asking people off the cup it feels again like it's a, it's a show in, in many ways about curiosity and about not being afraid to ask questions and and encouraging children to ask questions about the the places they live and then the people who live there with them um, yeah really I'm so, I'm so glad we got to I got to work with both of them too because like um I'm like I'm like the kind of person who doesn't like to talk to people like in the like in the store like wherever like I, I think my parents used to sometimes try to get me like when we would go out to eat they would try to get me as a child to go like pay the bill like and not oh, like I would have to yeah not oh. like I would have to pay the money but like they'd give me the money and then they'd be like go take this up there and I was just like terrified um so like I was an adult same. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice to hear because yeah like I always feel like man I'm so ill-equipped as a grown-up to do some things that grown-ups should be uh more used to <laughs> no, I mean, my brother was the one who he just talked to anybody like people in the supermarket I think at points we sort of had to tell him to stop because people were like <laughs> she's doing her job she doesn't have time to talk to this little boy but um it's it is it's a wonderful thing um to be able to 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 do that to have that that boldness about you I guess um and the show is also obviously on Netflix now I'm interested to know what it's like to work with them and what sort of it's a bit of a tangible what sort of creative input that they have in shaping the show as well um well when I first got there it was it was like a handful of people that were in there for the kind of in the same way like uh there's a few creators where their their shows some of them have come out some of them are not out yet um but when I was first brought in it was very like loose <laughs> I don't know how else to put it but like they they didn't 
it, it was exciting. It was like really exciting. It felt very much like um, come in with your show idea and you're definitely going to get to make it. Uh, wow. <laughs> like, yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think um, like, to be honest, it was like, that's a terrifying thing to be told because like for the, on the one hand, you're also just like, not really ever trusting that when somebody says they'll make your show no matter what that that's like that's like true because <laughs> mm. like I feel like you know you, you I mean at least for me I'm like I know this is still a business and I always feel this like nervousness that you know anywhere you are you can get fired at any minute I mean like honestly there there are protections there where that that's it's not, it can't happen exactly like that, but I feel like I'm always carrying that anxiety around a little bit. Um, but like, I, I, I was really excited when, when I first got there because, um, Netflix was definitely, uh, this place, at least in the live action sphere where like people, it was a really common thing to hear that, like, they don't give you any notes and it's really free. Um, and I think for, for me personally, that all, all was pretty true um, for most of it, like the entire thing, um, for putting it out, for uh, making it. Um, there, was, there was like not very much that I had to adjust um, that was like sort of like a compromise that I regret. Um, I think... There were there were points where people did weigh in with things like um, like one of the ones that I remember was I think at the very beginning of City of Ghosts I didn't have an idea that it would be like a a, a club like a a bunch of kids I think um, one of the executive who was helping me at the time um, Jill she had said uh, kids really like shows where the main character either has a sibling or like other kids that they're hanging around because um it's it's a lot more appealing for them and so I think I had just thought about it and I'm like well okay how do we do that <laughs> and I was like okay well maybe she's got an older brother who's helping her we don't that but that doesn't necessarily solve a problem because we don't we won't see him he'll just be there um but like maybe we could have other kids from other neighborhoods so it's not just this one little girl from Boyle Heights it's it's a bunch of kids from different parts of the neighborhood um so like I think occasionally though there were definitely things where people um sort of give you advice or they give you ideas of like ways that you could make it like a little bit more um successful just as far as people watching it uh but like there were things where I just I mean I I was mostly used to like um network execs weighing in in a way where it was like you don't necessarily have a choice <laughs> mm -hmm. uh whether to make um certain decisions <laughs> about the show so I I did feel like um at the time when I made everything that a lot of the thing, a lot of the freedoms that people talked about are, are true. Um, like that said though, I'm not exactly sure what, what the current experience is like. Cause the other thing about Netflix to me was just that um, I feel like it changed at least like three times, <laughs> like within the time that I was making the show. I mean, I, I kind of tried to like not, pay attention to the ways that it was changing just because like for sanity's sake I kind of just had to stay focused on like mm -hmm. I got to get this show finished so that it's out and that like 
um, I don't really have to worry about whether it's ever going to come out uh, if I finish it. So I was focused on that. But um, it does feel like similar to a lot of tech companies, like that change happens really rapidly. And sometimes that change can also be like how it is to make make your stuff in there. Um. <laughs> yeah, and you kind of have to sort of in some ways keep your head down a little bit to get on with the thing without getting too distracted, I guess, by everything that's going on around the sort of broader it's like this is the thing I'm making and I'm gonna make it (laughs) like nothing's gonna stop me at this point (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) it's cool as well to hear about that that note about um having a group of kids I guess if there's a ghost club then there's a club that kids watching it can want to be part of as well or start their own ghost club as well it feels like um I don't know it sounds like a a good note that children being able to see themselves on screen identify with it and but again like any I suppose great sort of um children's animation it also has a broader appeal as well it's it touches so many different stories and it doesn't feel like there's any kind of pandering or talking down we're often hearing from adults about what their lives are like and I just wondered um what do you hope children will take from the show and does that differ at all to what you hope adults will take from it (laughs) <laughs> it's a very rambling um, again <laughs> no no it, it makes sense uh, I think with kids I hope that they just enjoy it and that they get excited to um be who they are <laughs> I don't know like I mean like it it's it's really meant to just be to make to make kids feel sort of like sometimes uh you can be an authority too. Like there can be things that you experience or that you, you think that um, um, they're worth, they're worth your questions or worth, um, they're worth the time of adults. And sometimes you can also help, help adults with the things that uh, they might think that like, it's, it's just, you know, it's a grown up, grown up issue or something like that. Like, I feel like, um, it's it's really just hoping to encourage kids also also i wanted to give kids something to watch that uh isn't like annoying <laughs> and loud um like it it just seemed like there was a there was just a lot of of material out there um that's very noisy and just like and it, like like I mean, I'm sure it's really entertaining and it, there's no harm in, in people actually liking it. Like there's plenty of stuff that I like that's um, loud also, but like when there's not enough to counter that, like in case you don't want to watch that, um, I think I I wanted to give that to children <laughs> to have something that isn't necessarily like all the other stuff. Um, for grownups, I think I just definitely wanted to, to like show that it's possible to have programming that like you might want to watch with kids or even if you don't have kids that you could enjoy um programming that's made for them um because it doesn't all have to be really clearly for kids uh and and then I think just showing how entertaining it can be to have kids sound like themselves (laughs) um Cause there's a lot of stuff out there that really like, it just irks me when you have a kid like acting in anything, whether it's a commercial or a TV show or a movie where I can, I just feel in my gut, like a kid would never 
say that they would never think that um they might have that like that thought but it wouldn't be delivered in this like really adult way that doesn't make any sense for a kid to be talking like that because they 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 tend to talk in a lot more interesting way than adults (laughs) like at least I find um that just the way that they have to frame things or it's almost like the limitation of what their their language is at the at the moment it can sometimes have really interesting results <laughs> so mm. I'm hope, hoping that adults like appreciate that about kids <laughs> yeah I, and I, I love that um kids can be an authority as well I feel like that's a lesson for adults too is is that you shouldn't you know listen listen to to children because <laughs> you might learn something I feel it's a really good point So I mean, you've been working in the animation industry now for 15 years or so? Yeah, roughly, I think. Um, how do you think it's kind of changed, broadly speaking, that time? And, and what advice would you have for somebody who's entering into it now? Like the most recent change that I've heard about is, I think because of streamers and stuff like that, um, or streaming platforms, like, there's been a lot of just general industry complaints about how you don't really get kind of like long-term solid jobs on a show because shows don't really um, get picked up with the same regularity that they used to. It's sort of like, it's like an ever changing thing where, um, yeah, you just don't sort of have the same like longevity and employment. Um, I think like like I don't really want to focus on like the like a downer like that. So I mean my the the optimistic things that I see are that there's a lot of like accessible tools that I think before you sort of didn't have without working at someplace huge like um you know like Pixar or uh Sony or DreamWorks or any of the big studios where they have all, all of the things to do animation and, and to, to do just do film work. They, they have those things available to them. Um, but like for an individual, it would cost a lot of money. I think now because of like, you know, like you can, I mean, a lot of people say this, but like you can make movies on your phone. You can make all sorts of things with these incredible, incredible computers that we all have in our pockets. Um, but I think it's it's worth like thinking about regularly, like the amount of of experience you can get, kind of making making stuff like in a way that makes it fun and that sort of keeps you figuring out um, new new ways to do that. Uh, even just with like the the different apps that come out that kind of um, give people access to that, like like TikTok. I'm not really on TikTok and I thought about like should I try making videos on that but I think like I'll probably just have to wait for whatever the next thing is because um, that one's already got a lot of people on it that have figured it out um, but I think for me like just always looking for things like that like where, where where can I go to make stuff where can I sort of just have fun even if it's not perfect I think it's even better if it's not perfect um, I think like, 
yeah, just just anything to sort of just keep you feeling like um, like you're discovering <laughs> discovering how to do things. Like that's that's always kind of neat. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you've talked a little bit about kind of resources there, and and something that's come up a little uh, a few times is this idea of needing the freedom to be able to experiment or to not have someone kind of watching over you or to feel like you have to fit some sort of set pattern um it might be a bit of a broad question but I wonder what do you as an animator and an artist and a storyteller what what would you say you need in order to do your best work uh I need a combo of things (laughs) um I think one is uh one big one is is like honestly like a lot of solitude um especially at the beginning part when you're really at least for me when I'm really sensitive about this whatever new idea I'm working on um because like for me anyway there's a lot of like self-doubt that's usually uh hanging around (laughs) uh at the beginning of any project and I think like um like sometimes that just takes a lot of sitting there um like maybe staring into space sometimes it's like looking at videos and things like that so like it's kind of like the space and time to work that out like one one interesting thing about the beginning of Netflix was I remember uh they weren't really, sh- they were kind of like waiting for the, the group of creators they brought in to help them figure out like what's what's the working space and working environment even going to be like. Like we really want to create something new and we don't want to just build it like other studios because um, we want to be different. And and like I remember they they kind of like put us all into this open floor plan situation where there weren't we didn't really have offices we were kind of all just out there um and I definitely weighed in after after a certain amount of time and said like I'm not this isn't really good for me (laughs) I don't I like all these other people like I don't I don't have any uh beef with them personally I just I just realized like I need to be to have privacy in order to to craft this idea because I feel so unsure of like what I'm doing that I don't really want to be out <laughs> out in the open viewable to all when I'm when I'm feeling that way um, and I need to be able to kind of like emerge when I'm when I feel a little bit more confident or I have a direction or I have a little bit more of a plan of what to do um, so I think at the beginning it's that and then besides that I think like there's just a like uh, an amount of trust that I need from the person that I'm doing the work for. So I think like, um, you know, with city of ghosts, it was, it was feeling like eventually feeling like, um, I think Netflix trusts me and they trust what I'm doing and I think they like what I'm doing. So that, I think that means a lot, um, for sure. And beyond that, it's like, it's like day to day, there can be different things that I need, but for the most part, I think those are the two, the two big ones. (laughs) Yeah. And it sounds like both those things aren't, they're not so much about the work itself as the conditions you need in order to to make the work to do with yeah like the people that you're working with and even yeah down to the physical kind of situation (laughs) of where you are being in being in tune with how you best work is a really good piece of advice I think (laughs) yeah I mean like even I remember even like 
they didn't have enough offices once they did put offices in for my um, my development producer to have an office. And so she was in the same office as me. And um, she's perfectly nice, you know. But I remember saying eventually, like, this this also isn't working. I know it's only one other person, but it's like I, 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 I need to be fully alone. And I felt really, um, like, almost embarrassed <laughs> to admit it because it felt so like antisocial and um, like a hermit. Uh, but <laughs> it, it was really like, hey, if you want me to do my best, um, I'm just telling you this isn't work- working to- for me to do my best. So <laughs> like, could we find her an office? <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great takeaway to be able to to articulate what you need and then how you best function is is really it's a skill it's a skill and I think it's one that we don't really talk about or champion enough to be honest especially I think especially now that everyone's working from home I feel like it's kind of it's another thing about like being able to articulate your best working conditions to the people you are with um it's really brilliant um and it feels also like a nice place to kind of wrap up on but before we do um I'm going to ask you the question that we ask everyone um which is do you have a favorite children's tv show either from when you were younger or now oh yeah um I feel like I'm gonna forget to name something and later I'm gonna be like darn it that like I should (laughs) have put that but for sure like um just in general like anything with Muppets uh I was just uh life like a lifelong fan of that I think it like has so much of what like I've just enjoyed from my whole life like um the improv nature of of how the Muppets felt um sort of just like the type of comedy like a lot of times it was really cheesy but like I thought it worked really well (laughs) for those characters and it continues to work really well um and a lot of the early Henson stuff like the kind of like the stuff they did for like the Ed Sullivan show and things like that like I just I watched that later in life and I was like man this is so innovative and so cool that they got to try all this um and on and that it was on television um when I was a kid I honestly think I was a little bit bored by Mr. Rogers but when I got older I really liked the like a lot of the things that um like now you just don't see as much like he used to do segments where he would show how things were made I think I always Mm -hmm. did like those parts like there's one where he showed a crayon factory and I remember it was just really fun to see um so like things like that um I think we used to have a similar thing I think I think it was just called how it's made and it it would just be like uh, it would be a factory for about half an hour you'd see them making like biscuits or something just go away and be like I never knew well the more (laughs) you know the more you know Um, my neighbor Totoro and like um some of the Miyazaki stuff was was stuff that I really liked and I still really like um like most of the stuff where it was kind of a little like not as serious like I think my neighbor Totoro was a a little less serious than some of the other films that were around the same time (laughs) um yeah and then other than that like currently I mean it's not it's not necessarily for kids but I I talk a lot about Rilakkuma like I like the Rilakkuma series that's on 
Netflix. Um, and yeah, like, like Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love them. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's all I can think of for mm. now. I'm sure there's it's a great list. <laughs> it's a fantastic list. And I feel Thank like it's, it's the Muppets have come up, I think, a few times now. I think we all sort of get to adulthood and realise how much we learned from Kermit. We kind of look yeah. back and like, like, I knew what he was about and I respect it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> well, Elizabeth, it's been so lovely to talk to you and to hear about your work. And I've just really enjoyed it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to Even Baddies Wear Helmets. The podcast was hosted by me, Billy Collins, produced by Cloda Chapman with music from Finley Stafford and our lovely logo was designed by Lucy Tiller. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can find us on social media at Even Baddies Pod on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Make sure you subscribe, share, tell your mates. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you soon.